Welcome to What's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're gonna to be talking about the Suzanne Morphew case. On October 2nd, Dr. Phil featured Suzanne's story and had her brother Andy Mormon on, as well as Mike King and Chris McDonough of Profiling Evil. Now I'm gonna do a recap of it and also connecting some dots as I usually like to do. But before I get started, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below, hit that notification bell to all. Also, please share this video out where you can and hit that like button below. Now, let's get into it. In the first half of the Dr. Phil show, Dr. Phil talked to Suzanne's brother Andy about the search, some of the behavior and evidence up until now, and also his thoughts on things. On the second half, they show Mike and Chris from Profiling Evil, and they talked about some of the red flags in this case and some odd behaviors as well. Now let's first talk about the first half. Now this was taped on Sunday, September 27th, which was day four of the search. And you can see right away that Andy is visibly exhausted and emotionally exhausted. Andy is doing everything he can to find his baby sister and it is evident. And nothing is stopping him. Nothing. Now, in the interview, Dr. Phil right away says, my goal is to keep a very bright light on the situation so nobody turns away from it. Nobody forgets it, not law enforcement, not anybody in the area. So just know anything you want to talk about, anything that we can do to keep the focus on this, that's exactly what we want to do. So Andy right away talks about these search dogs from Missouri and he said there's another set in New Mexico and they are cadaver dogs. And in a previous interview, it was said that these dogs are experienced cadaver dogs. Now Andy then talks about the dogs hitting two areas of interest and a third one as well. He first talks about two Australian shepherds. He said when they go in and they see something suspect or smell something suspect, they'll taste the grass and circle the item many times and then they'll finally sit down on it. And then he talks about the German shepherds and he says the German shepherds behave almost the same way, only he said that they get extremely excited, their faces will wrinkle up, their ears will come forward to catch scent and they will also scratch on the site and they'll dig. He did say something very interesting. He said that he was talking to one of the guys and said that one of his German shepherds hit on a War II vet and said they can smell back a long time. And then he talked about the three areas of interest. Number one, the riverfront. Number two, a tree planting. And number three, an addition being put in and the entrance area with blocks is what he said. Then Dr. Phil asks, are these areas that would lend themselves to hiding a body or body parts? And Andy says, yes, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about these three areas. Number one is the riverfront. This is the area that we first heard about the dogs hitting on in Andy's search. This is also where we saw Andy's picture with the dog in that area. I did do a video on that and you can check out that video right here or in the description box below this video. Now, this area is also the area that Barry and his employee were on that Saturday morning. And even that day, his employee said that Barry wasn't acting right. Actually, she said he was acting weird is how she put it. Now, she expected to work the full day that morning, but only worked until 11 a.m., she said. And she also said that Barry said he had to go make the wife happy and go hiking or biking. Now, that area was also mentioned by a neighbor saying that she heard equipment during the night. That's important to note. Now, Dr. Phil asks, 
when those dogs hit, what was the first thing that went through your mind? And Andy said, damn, I can't believe anybody would do this. Now let's talk about location number two, the tree planting. From what I know and what was live streamed last week on Profiling Evil, Andy was sitting by that tree waiting for the authorities to come. Now, there's also a few things that were mentioned that I've connected the dots on, but I'm going to keep it a little close to the chest for now. I don't want to mess up anything of what's going on behind the scenes, but if I connected it correctly, there's another uh uh-oh. Number three, uh, the addition with the entrance area. I do got to dig a little bit more into this. I may be a little bit behind on this location. If you know some information that has been made public, I'd really appreciate your help in the comments below. Now, when it comes to the search, Andy said, we stirred up a hornet's nest out here, Phil. The community got involved, the tip line fired up, Evidence started rolling in. Tips keep rolling in to me. I keep sharing with the FBI. I think they're closing it. I really do. Now, then Dr. Phil responds and he says, this is going to shake whoever is involved in this. This is going to shake their tree dramatically. If in fact, what you believe to be true is true, that you in fact have found your sister, this is going to shake them to the absolute core. And he asks Andy, what do you think happened to her and why? And Andy talks about Suzanne being hidden too well. He said her bicycle was planted there. She was never on it thinks she was abducted and then murdered. He says he thinks she was murdered at home and then taken to a second location. And then Dr. Phil asks, you think her husband is the one that did this? And he says, well, based on behaviors and things that have happened, yeah, I do actually, and I pray it's not. And Dr. Phil says, obviously the statistics are not good. When these kind of things happen, law enforcement always looks at the spouse first. And frankly, it turns out to be the spouse more often than not. So statistics certainly point in that direction. But you've seen some very specific behavior, things that he has done and things that he's not done. What specifically has pointed to you in thinking that it's actually her husband? And he says, well, when it started off, Phil, we found the bicycle at the bottom of the ravine. And my brother-in-law is a really good hunter and an expert tracker. And he thought that maybe Suzanne had ridden over the side of that, gotten injured, disoriented, fallen in the river and or a bobcat had attacked her. Now, just a side note, very interesting that Andy talked about how his brother-in-law is a really good hunter and an expert tracker. That's very, very important because an expert tracker would know some of these little nuances, uh, you know, basically on the ground and area, right? So Andy then says, well, I stood on that bank of that road and I looked down and thought to myself, no, that didn't happen. There's no blood trail. And if I had ridden a bike over there, it would have been pretzelized and my knuckles would have been hamburgerized. So no blood, no things of that nature. So I told him, I said, Barry, it looks like she didn't get taken by a puma. No mountain lion involved here. He acted like he didn't want to hear that, but he finally came to the realization that everybody else realizes that didn't happen. So let's just talk about this for a minute because we have seen this with Barry. He was holding on to that theory for quite some time, for at least two months that I've seen coming directly from Barry's mouth. And we saw this in Tyson Draper's footage that Barry talked about the mountain lion dragging his wife up a hill as a potential theory. And law enforcement did quash that theory though in the first few days. And here's Andy saying the same thing, but as Andy said, he says he acted like he didn't want to hear that. 
Also, a week later, he made that 25-second video that was addressing abductors, plural, and then back to the mountain lion theory. Let's continue on. Andy says, so the next thing, he's hauled in and questioned and interrogated by the CBI. He won't take a lie detector or voice analysis, and that bothered me deeply. Andy talked also about Barry's truck and says the EVI information, which is called electronic vehicle information on his truck, did not line up with timeline of events that he laid out for the police. Now, in a recent interview with Lauren Scharf of Fox News, Barry talked about an inconsistency to the timeline about doing something to his bobcat. Here's what it said. It says, Barry did admit an inconsistency in one timeline he provided to investigators. It was only because I didn't know the time that I did something, a mechanical thing to my bobcat, he said. I was confused and I just found out my wife was missing and I was a little bit not in my right mind when they were asking me these questions, but I did the best I could and I answered everything. I never once declined any interview. So something to point out, there's more than one inconsistency here. Andy points out that Barry's truck information is inconsistent and Barry admits to doing something, a mechanical thing, to his bobcat and admitted there was an inconsistency. Now from reports that I'm receiving, that bobcat often goes with Barry everywhere or almost everywhere. And this information could be wrong, but that's the word that I'm getting. Let me know in the comments below. Next, Andy talked about some of Barry's employees coming forward and speaking of the smell of chlorine at the hotel room that he hastily got for them to set up on a wall project where they were building a wall. And we've seen this recently as well. The story coming out about the hotel and reeking like chlorine according to his employees. One of them, Jeff Puckett, states that he found insurance papers in the garbage in that hotel room and in an interview he called it foul play and he said that or an alien abduction. Now both employees also state that they didn't have the right tools for the job for that wall and that it looked like Barry just emptied out his entire truck bed and they still said that they didn't have the right tools. Now in Tyson's video with Barry, Barry said he went to Denver on Sunday to set his workers up for the job. There's also buzz right now that that wall job wasn't even officially a job, if you know what I mean. Now Dr. Phil asks, assuming this is Barry, what would you expect next. And he says, well, I think that an arrest would be made. Obviously, he would be prosecuted for the crime. And Dr. Phil responds and says, I'm trained in forensic psychology. I've learned to go back and find out that there's a link to every chain. And this took place on Mother's Day weekend and that he left on Sunday to go to Denver to work on a job. Would you expect that to be part of the relationship for him to take off and her go riding a bicycle on Mother's Day? And he says, no, it doesn't sound anywhere near normal to me. Now remember, Suzanne was married to Barry for 26 years. And I'm not sure how far back they were dating, but I mean, that's a long time. So if Andy's saying that doesn't even sound anywhere near normal to me, there's a pretty good chance it wasn't normal. Know what I'm saying? And then Andy says, like I said, the EVI information on his truck didn't line up. He said he saw her at 5 a.m. and he did not. And Dr. Phil says, how do you know that? And he says, testimony from an employee that he was rambling down the road texting people at 4 in the morning 
trying to get them to go to Broomfield. Can't be home at five o'clock. And a little side note, there was actually two stories that I've heard about the 5 a.m. One that Barry woke up in the morning at 5 a.m., talked to Suzanne and said, hey, and he actually said this from his own words. He said, hey, Suzanne, um, I, I know it's Mother's Day. I got to go set the guys up for the job. Are you cool with that? Pretty much, I'm paraphrasing, but that was in Tyson's video that he was talking about that. And then the family, um, they were seeing on Profiling Evil weeks ago that Barry said he didn't talk to Suzanne, just gave her a kiss on the forehead or something like that, and then just left. So there's three different stories, right? So which one's the real one? Well, obviously, if he's texting and they're backing that up with data at 4 a.m., then he couldn't be home at 5 a.m. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Unless he went back home. But I guess time will tell. Then they talked about the girls. And Andy said that the girls went on a camping trip with the church. And on their way home, they wanted to wish her a happy Mother's Day. Got no answer. They called their father, said, Dad, we can't get a hold of Mom. He says he tried, couldn't get a hold of her. And he asked the neighbor to go over and see if she was home. So the neighbor goes over, opens the garage. The cars are all home. She returns to her phone, calls Barry. Cars are home. Barry says, what about her bicycle? The lady says, well, I'll have to go back over. So she runs back over and looks and no bicycle. Now I'm going to point this out and it's not the first time that I've said it, but this is very, very important. The cars are home and Barry suggests, what about the bicycle? And the neighbor says, no, not there. The bicycle was found that same night, reportedly, and never, not once, not once, not one time did law enforcement ever talk about the bike, ever. Not one time. And what some of you may or may not know is a couple days later on May 12th, which would be the Tuesday around 8 p.m., Barry writes a note on the back of a receipt. And he goes to Poncha Market, actually, in Salida, talks to the manager there, has a few things scribbled on a piece of paper about Suzanne, correction, scribbles down about the items to look for. A baby blue bike, a helmet, and biking clothing. That's it. That's all. Not Suzanne's name, not her height, not her weight, no description, nothing. No eye color, no hair color, nothing. And this woman that was interviewed, the manager, said she found it very, very odd. And there's just three objects written down on that piece of paper. Now back to Andy on Dr. Phil. He talks about the Saturday, the day before she uh, officially was reported missing. And he says, she was seen in town with Barry getting a sandwich at 4 p.m. At midnight, somebody friended all of the guys my age on her Facebook at midnight. 
He says, my theory is she was killed after four. Her Facebook was manipulated at midnight. She was hidden between midnight and 4 a.m. on Mother's Day morning. So now remember, in that morning, on Saturday morning, Barry is with his employee Morgan at the riverfront property. Morgan said she expected to work all day, but she only worked until 11 a.m. Barry says he needed to go keep the wife happy and go do some hiking or biking. He and Suzanne are seen in town at 4 p.m. getting a sandwich. Reports say that in the late afternoon, Suzanne's close friend is texting Suzanne about an upcoming wedding of one of her children, and then the communication just stops abruptly. So at midnight, there are all these guy requests on Facebook. This is not good. And I'll explain to you my thoughts in a minute and what this potentially could mean. But first, let's ask some questions. Number one, the first question would be, who has access to Suzanne's Facebook if it wasn't Suzanne? Number two, if it was Suzanne, why would Suzanne be friend requesting a bunch of men at midnight? Number three, what time does Suzanne usually go to sleep? And number four, why would Suzanne abruptly stop talking to her best friend and yet be going on her Facebook to request all of these guys? And just in my opinion, from my perception, it's only my opinion, I really don't think, judging from what I've been told about Suzanne and her character, I don't think she'd be requesting a bunch of guys judging on who she's married to. Let's just leave it at that. I just don't think she would do that. And also, without even her husband, I don't think she would do that. But that's just my opinion. I'm not Suzanne, and it's my opinion. So now here's where really, really, really concerns me. If something happened to Suzanne after 4 p.m., like Andy says, and her Facebook was manipulated at midnight, and it wasn't by Suzanne, then that tells me something, and it's something very important. It tells me that Suzanne was killed before midnight, and the Facebook friending spree was a way to set up an abduction theory or tactic which is potentially why we saw a week later with the 25 or 26 second clip addressing abductors. Because what that would have done is it would look like Suzanne was putting herself in harm's way and therefore making her a target to a predator. Pretty crafty, potentially, in my opinion. And we hear that from Mike and Chris from Profiling Evil about the victimology and how Suzanne is very low risk. And so this is interesting. It sounds like Suzanne would not do this type of behavior. Now, what this also could mean is between 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. would be the window for disposal which potentially does coincide with the neighbor hearing the equipment running in the middle of the night, which also would line up with Morgan Gentile saying it sounded like Barry had the worst night of his life when she was talking to him on the phone. Now I'm connecting the dots here and it's not looking good. 
Then on the Dr. Phil show, they talked about Barry's employee, Jeff Puckett. And the clip talked about how he smelled chlorine, which we have seen in previous videos in the hotel. And it smelled strong. And he also said he thought it was foul play, either that or an alien abduction. I did talk about it, like I said, in a previous video. And I'll put that here or in the description box below. And both employees talked about how they didn't have the right tools for the job, like I mentioned. You can also hear in the clip that Barry talked about how Jeff was in jail for nine years and that he offered good money to him to do the job in Broomfield. He also said, I did nothing wrong at the hotel. Said he never saw any tools for the job, that there wasn't any job preparation done, and it looked to him that the job wasn't intended to be done. Now, we hear that also from Morgan Gentile, who said that he was supposedly there all day, but looked like he only did half an hour of work and she wondered what, what he did all day. They also waited there for a couple days and then returned back to Salida on that Tuesday and they never did do a job on a wall in Broomfield. Now, Dr. Phil then says, it just seems like there's an awful lot of odd things going on. I can't say that Barry is the one involved in this, but it sure doesn't look good. And Andy says, well, Phil, let me ask you, you dealt with a lot of situations and all these behaviors that I've explained to you. If you were sitting in my shoes, what would you think? And Dr. Phil says, well, I would think that the husband of my sister would be leading the charge with the media, with the search forces, with everybody trying to find out where the wife and mother of the children was and would be doing everything possible to bring that to the forefront and answering any and all questions, taking lie detector tests, voice print tests, anything he could do to eliminate himself as a suspect so all resources could be focused on the real culprits if it wasn't him. And then he goes on to say, I don't understand his behavior at all. I don't understand why he's not sitting next to you, meaning Andy right now, while we are having this conversation, which goes out to millions and millions of people. It certainly doesn't look good. And Andy says, I agree 100%. Dr. Phil talked about Barry's 26 second video and he mentions the bit about Barry shaking his head throughout. And Dr. Phil asks Andy, what's your reaction to that? Andy says, well, if that were true, he would be sitting here, not me. And Andy asks uh, Dr. Phil what his reaction is, and he says, your body doesn't lie. It talks about how I really want you back, shaking his head no all the time, which we've talked about. And he does say, though, um, that it could be a broken heart and, disgu and disgust, shaking no, or his body answering, and he doesn't know it. He did say that the producer got Barry on the phone and Barry said he's just not ready to talk yet. We've heard this over and over from Barry. It's just not time. I'm not ready. Um, and that was right from the get-go. And of course, I mentioned how he talked about the co-workers um, aren't to be believed because one's an ex-con and a meth head and also talked about the rooms being clean because of COVID. We did hear that in Lauren Scharf's interview as well. And Dr. Phil says to Andy, why is he not there climbing the hill with you? Why isn't he not there with his dogs? Why is he not out there looking? I'm troubled by that. And he says, I am. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. Now, in the second half of the show, Profiling Evil with Mike King and Chris McDonough was on. And Andy said that Chris and Mike on Profiling Evil has helped tremendously. They have collected information and given them to me and I've given them to FBI and they have helped tremendously. Now, Mike talks right away about how this is an odd story right from the beginning. And Chris then talks about the video of 
Tyson and Barry and said they were struck by him talking plural about we, us, and them, and they. Now, I did do a video on that and I stripped it right down and I will put that video right here and in the description below. It does go very detailed and there's a reason for it, but you're welcome to go look at that video. Again, it'll be linked. Uh, Chris also talked about how Barry started to push blame in that video, talking about that sheriff department and how they botched things. And Chris said it is big red flags immediately. And now if we bring in the other factors besides blaming the sheriff's department, we also see Barry, like previously mentioned, blaming co-workers and also media he was blaming about going against him and that's why he's not speaking out. Then they talked about the theories again, and Dr. Phil brings up the mountain lion and says, predators don't usually clean up after themselves. They're usually a, a pretty big mess left behind, and there was no such scene anywhere to be found. Mike agrees and says there's no artifacts to support a bicycle collision or some predatory means. He says either a human or an animal tearing this woman from her bicycle. No physical evidence that we've been able to hear as far as torn clothing in the trees. Mike says that they were troubled about the mountain lion and consulted and reached out to the mountain lion foundation. This is a very interesting statistic. He said the experts said in 125 years in North America, there were fewer than 100 people that ever have been killed by a mountain lion. And then Dr. Phil talks about statistics and being most likely being victimized by someone she knew. He says, which I assume is the most likely scenario that you guys entertained, meaning Chris and Mike. And Chris said, we couldn't get her out of the circle in relationship to that victimology that kept pointing back to the house first. And we've heard Chris say this over and over. We haven't left the house. Now, then Chris talks about a conversation between Barry and Suzanne's dad. And he says, one of the most disturbing things we've uncovered pretty early was the first conversation that her husband had with Andy's father, Gene. He says, this is an 87 year old man who's suffering from cancer and he gets a phone call from his son-in-law basically said, I loved your daughter and I need you to sign some papers. And basically it was the guardianship. And he says, and Jean essentially said, what do you mean you loved my daughter? Where is she? We're gonna find her and no, I'm not signing any paperwork. And then Dr. Phil asks them, what are some of the things on your list that keep you watching Barry very closely? And then they said, one of the first things that we all know as experienced investigators is where's the family? That was one of the biggest flags that we saw initially. Chris says, we would have expected to see a lot more from the house and not necessarily from the brother. He says, second, certain individuals were placed inside of the search teams to watch the searchers. That certainly is a disturbing type of behavior. Now, side note, there was also a picture circulating of a guy on his bike wearing a wig, a hat, and sunglasses. It was really, really odd. Then they showed the picture of Barry lying on the ground. And Mike said that it was interesting to them and they got it from an anonymous person that was with Barry when that picture was taken. He says this was three days after Suzanne disappeared. And so what I wanna do is connect these dots again. This would be Tuesday, if that is correct in my calculations. Math is math. This would be the same day that Barry walked into the poncha market with the scribble on the back of that receipt of the bike clothing, the helmet, and the bike. Okay, so back to the show, Mike says, and they had been traveling around looking for her. They ended up on top of the mountain and he starts paraphrasing, saying, Let, hey, let's look over this ridge because this would be a good place for someone to throw someone off the cliff. And 
Mike says that this person thought this was so incredibly odd. Side note, I would agree. And also, I think it's incredibly odd how he's lying on the ground. But Mike says, uh, according to the story we were given, Barry laid down on the ground and started heaving or crying from exhaustion. He did also say that he could have been completely worn out emotionally or physically and not thinking clearly. Mike did make a point about that 25 second video. He did say it troubled them because usually in an abduction, it's usually a single individual and Barry addressed they. And they also said they counted 19 times that he said they and us in and everything is pluralized. And that was in Tyson Draper's video. What I did find very interesting is how Mike was talking about the Elizabeth Smart case. And I just find this really interesting how he likened it to it. He said, Ed Smart was the focus of a lot of criticism and a lot of focused perspective of a potential suspect. Still, he's in the press saying, help me find my daughter. So no matter what people were saying, Ed Smart kept saying, look, let's find her. We got to find her and kept her in the press. And then Mike says, we haven't heard a word, a peep or boo meaning from Barry. And he says, and then we heard through the grapevine, he's now sold the house and has guardianship. And I think it would be normal if you lost a companion, but I don't know if it would be normal in a couple of months. Now, this is interesting as well, because I agree it would be normal if a person lost a companion down the road. That makes sense. But technically, nobody knows where she is, right? And you would think you would hold on hope a little bit longer than a couple months and wait for that and and wait a little bit longer and then do the guardianship. But the couple of months, I think, is the eyebrow raising part. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. Now, Mike says, all of a sudden, these affairs are getting straightened out so that he has control of these dollars. And then he's buying a new truck, a new motorcycle, and her brother is organizing a search. And he's not saying, where do you want me? And I did mention this in my last video. There's a very, very big contrast in the behavior just at this recent search. And it naturally stands out at this point. We do see Andy doing whatever it takes and we have the other family member not. And that really does speak volumes. And because of these, just even these few days that they were out there searching, it's a very big contrast. Now, Dr. Phil says people react differently, but it just seems odd to me based on what I experienced. Then they talked about these things that were found and the and Dr. Phil says, what is the proximity to Suzanne's home? Chris basically says they're trying to keep it on the down low. And Dr. Phil asks, is it safe to say that these locations are not out of the orbit or where she might have wound up if she had fallen victim to foul play? Chris says she's definitely in 100% range of what you are referring to and Dr. Phil says this is a radius where you might expect something to take place. Now, this seems to be in that triangle, I'm thinking, that I talked about in a previous video. The area that Barry was sure that Suzanne was not in. He said, you know, we've, al we've already checked that. I'm pretty confident she's not in here. And I mentioned that triangle and basically that's the spot they should be looking. Now, Dr. Phil says he invited Barry. He says, we reached out to Barry and invited him to sit down and discuss his wife's disappearance. Although he was not interested, the invitation is still open. Now, I do also want to touch on a few things that's really starting to stick out for me and the potential of a few things. Number one, if something happened to Suzanne in her own home, 
which is a very high possibility. And if it does, in fact, end up being Suzanne's husband, then in my opinion, she's going to be hidden very, very, very well. If you did follow my videos in the Gannon Stout case, I talked about Letitia and that she was a distancer. I talked about how she'd go the distance and most likely have evidence thrown about everywhere. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw her going distances and evidence being thrown about. Gannon was obviously found several states away and effort and evidence was everywhere. I feel the exact opposite in this case. I feel like Suzanne would be very, very much hidden. I don't feel that she would be just strewn about in a field or, or a forest just laying somewhere. I feel like she's going to be very, 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 very well hidden. To the best a person's ability can be, in my opinion. Now, the other thing that I'm becoming more concerned about is this could be looking more like premeditation than it is an accident of some sort. There's a reason behind me saying that, of course, and I'll be doing some more research and connecting the dots. But what strikes me is that Saturday morning at the riverfront property and Barry acting weird, according to one of his employees. Of course, I wasn't there, so I can't say exactly, but with him acting off and Morgan expecting to work all day and didn't, and then the actions after that of what happened in the afternoon and evening, and then the dogs hitting on that riverfront, which is the same location that they did work on on that Saturday morning, it's telling me more of a chilling story. I really hope I'm wrong. I really, really, really hope I'm wrong. I want to say this, Andy Mormon, you are a heck of a man and a big brother. And what you're doing for your sister is pure love. And you can see that with 100% accuracy. Let's have a chit chat below. Let's talk about this. It is so crazy, but yet they're finding out answers and truth is coming out and it'll come. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please click that like button and hit that share button. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.